Hi, I'm Chad. I'm a Gen X grown-up. I support Gen X grown-up through Patreon, and you can too at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel, website, and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me always, of course, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? You know that Mo is here. Hey, everybody. In this episode, man, this I'm excited for this one because it's <laughs> nothing we've ever done before. The Police was a Gen X era musical act that put post-punk and new wave into a whole new stratosphere. In this backtrack, we remember, dissect, and debate their fifth and final studio album, and arguably, maybe their best, Synchronicity. Again, we're going to argue that. It could be everybody's head just cocked like, yeah, was it? Really? Maybe? That's the beauty of it. Maybe, I forget who suggested this, but we were planning our next few backtracks for the new year, and we realized we had never taken an album and really just torn it apart and talked about that. Music is a huge chunk of that Gen X experience. So, oh, for sure. Uh, you, fourth listener, you listen to this one. Tell us what you think. Should we do more of them? You'll let us know. We'll keep an eye <laughs> on our inbox and find out what you think. For me, I am excited to see how it goes. Before we get into that, though, it is time for some fourth listener email. Two pieces of fourth listener email. Ooh. And neither of them came via email this time around. The first one was Ben, longtime listener to the show. He dropped mm-hmm. us a line on a video over in YouTube, which he'll often yeah. do. Just yeah. you know, mention, hey, I watched a backtrack as he's commenting on some other video, you know? And he said, I watched the podcast of The Greatest American Hero and it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I am familiar with the show, very familiar with the theme song. yeah. George mm-hmm. <laughs> watched the pilot recently, <laughs> and that was fantastic. And I have a shirt which I just wore the other day. So he has all the boxes wow. ticked. He is a big yeah, fan. You're not kidding. There you go. Yeah, he says I hope that it becomes popular again because it is a very unique and fun show to talk about. Cool. Thank you, yeah. Ben. Sweet. Nice. And the second one we have another fourth listener hit us up this time via Facebook. It's Will P. Not only a listener but also a Patreon supporter. Thank you for that, Will. Cool. Will dropped us a line to say great. Great episode, guys. Although it had me yelling at George by way of my car radio. Again? (laughs) I don't know if it's the first time for him. I'm not sure. It's everybody takes a turn on the hate George train. (laughs) He goes on to say, George dismisses the plots of Greatest American Hero as ridiculous. And then he heads off to record a podcast about pro wrestling. Oh, <laughs> fuck off, Will P. <laughs> I can absolutely say there's a hell of a lot of those wrestling plots that were much better written than any of that shit from Greatest American Hero. Trust me. And by the way, wrestling has outlasted Greatest American Hero this is by true. several decades. This is true. So there you go. You may have struck a nerve, Will. I'm not certain. It's possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't jump on my pro wrestling bandwagon and try and knock me down. You're out of your mind now. I thought you would appreciate an opportunity to plug Turnbuckles and Territories. So instead, you just jumped on poor Will. I'm going to plug Will. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Poor Will. Oh, that's oh, good. Will will never write in again. Sorry, Will. Thank you so much, <laughs> Ben. And look, Will knew what he was getting into when he yeah. was getting in Georgia's yeah, face. So I'm sure he understood what the reaction was going to be. Yeah, for sure. He's like, this will be fun. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me spin up George. Watch me Here wind up the monkey and watch him go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They got the symbols, chang, 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 right? Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Will. We always keep an eye on social media and see when people are commenting on our show. We love to hear what you think about what we are doing. And you can do that like they did, or you can hit us up via email at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Read every single one, and most of them eventually make their way to the show. All right. With that good business behind us, it's time to jump into this backtrack on synchronicity right after this. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. This week at all record bar outlets, a new dimension of sight and sound. Scotch EG all-purpose video cassettes L750 or T120, only $4.99. Scotch EXG video cassettes unsurpassed color L750 or T120, only $7.99. Scotch video head cleaner, the sure way to clean VCR heads, beta or VHS, only $14.99. On sale now at all record bar outlets. Oh man, the police. <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> I don't know, but they better go to Will's house pretty goddamn soon. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> oh, he's going to be on this the whole the whole episode. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, I there are very few bands that I can think of that describe like my junior high school, high school years was listening to songs mm-hmm. by police. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just it's in right up there all the time. They had yep. something on the radio. And of course, you can't talk about the band without talking about the members. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so the found, well, I should say one of the founding members and probably the most well-known is Sting. Everyone knows Sting, Sting right? The oh, philanthropy yeah. work he's doing, mm. his, his career. The funny thing is that I didn't realize that his actual name, like I knew he, Sting was not his birth name, obviously. Right. But I right. didn't know his real name was Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Wow. I think I only knew that because when he did a solo album, he did one that I think it was titled Sumner's Tales or something like that. It had oh, okay. his last oh, name. Okay. I think that's the only thing that I kind of, I knew his last hmm. name. Okay. I had heard Gordon at some point, but that's the only one I knew. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea. I, <laughs> <laughs> Even after the police, I mean, he had a amazing solo career and he still to this day i think has a pretty strong career going on you know with his kind mm-hmm. of custom records and things that he's doing like his or i say his marquee records or whatever he wants he comes out with now but did you know that thing about his life you know he's worked as like a bus conductor you know he was mm-hmm. a laborer he was tax officer he was a substitute teacher i that's think that's right too. I heard he was a substitute yeah. teacher i think that's awesome when people have had other careers and they have life yeah. experience they didn't just become a celebrity and you know and they they can draw from real you know real blue collar kind of experience like that. But, you know, while you're on the topic of Sting, I just, I'm not one of those guys who knows every band member in every band that I ever listened to. I don't know that kind of trivia. Mm-hmm. But Sting is one of those people like, the police, Sting. Like, I, yeah. I, I know that and I don't know those kind of things. And it's because not only is he the front man, the vocalist on the majority of the songs, if not all, I'm exposed. But there's, he has one of those voices that's so kind of breathy 
and haunting and like you don't mistake his voice for anybody else or right. anybody else Very for unique. him because mm. he is so that signature sound just as soon as I you hear it like you said I'm back to junior high that was the soundtrack of every mm-hmm. every dance I was at every game I was at <laughs> there was some police playing did you know that combined the police and his solo career he has sold over a hundred million records I'm honestly shocked it's that low oh, really? I believe <laughs> it yeah I don't know, it seems like a lot uh, it, it is no question but if you had told me a billion I, I wouldn't have been shocked by that. I was yeah. the yeah. No, like 80s and 90s, he mm-hmm. was like, everything he released yeah. seemed to go like whatever multi-platinum things whatever. Mm-hmm. they yeah. call them back yeah. then. It was crazy. Oh, Do yeah. no wrong. The next member, the drummer, Stuart Copeland, which a lot of people don't know this. He did like a whole bunch of like movie soundtracks and TV ah. soundtracks. Like like scores? Yeah, he did the scores for or that. Or he played drums on them or he wrote the scores? Like a, like an Elfman style? Yeah, he did the scores for them. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, like, you know, Dead Like Me. Remember that series that was out? Mm-hmm. Of course. Music for right. that. Yeah. He that was did him? Wall Street. He did the really? score for that. Yeah. And he also did the score for the Spyro video game series. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it pays, good, exactly. go get it, Stuart. There you go. So, I mean, to me, it's like seeing that these people had like other things that they did mm-hmm. I think just shows you like how much yeah. talent was there it was right. like the band and then they had nothing else I mean they had other things to make money so right. and yeah. then the well the third slash fourth member which is kind of weird is Andy Summers which everyone knows he's the guitarist when they did all their albums all this stuff mm-hmm. but he's actually the fourth member because they actually had a guitarist before him oh okay yeah, oh. who apparently wasn't that awesome <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was like um, somebody's roommate or something. That's usually how the crummy guy in the band gets there. <laughs> and they said that um, when the band was kind of coming up and they were doing like the small gigs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. this guy just wasn't that good. They got Summers in who was actually, he was like, he's like way older than the other members too. He's like like almost 10 years older than everybody else hmm. who is okay. an established studio guitar player. Like he, gotcha. he was gotcha. a known person. Sense. Yep. If you're going to try and replace somebody that's crappy, you're going to go with somebody you know is good and established. <laughs> So that makes sense. So is it is the guy who was the third one? Because you've Mo, by the way, for those out there in the podcast world, he did all the research for this podcast. Oh, that. but is that the Henry Padovani guy, or yeah. is that somebody else? No, that was him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And apparently, Summers realized that this guy wasn't that good too, because he only agreed to join if they get rid of him. <laughs> so wait, oh, so they were going to put four people together, but he said no. And, and they were four people actually for a while, because I guess Sting couldn't <laughs> oh, really? do it. He, he couldn't do it right away. They eventually kind of eased him out, I guess. He goes or I go. And like, yeah, no problem. He sucks. He's out. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like those new Geico commercials talking about how easy it is. And they've got Slash from Guns N' Roses auditioning for like a high school band. And they're like, yeah. the decision to save with Geico is just as easy as this. And there's like three <laughs> kids with freckles and pimples on their face on the couch. And Slash is up there playing one of the Guns N' Roses songs. And they're like, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you want, you're in. Because they did go as four members for a while. And then I guess after one of their gigs, Summers had enough. He's like, look, either he goes or I go. Yeah. Hmm. They got rid of him. But they said that once they did that, that's when the music started clicking. Because they said suddenly all Sting's music he was writing, they could do it now. They could now perform the way he had envisioned exactly. it. Exactly. Because they had a talented they just, guitarist. They, they were know. almost like they were held back. Mm. Yep. Summers, I mean, from doing research, apparently within the rock guitar world, he's extremely highly regarded. Uh, you know, huh. he, He's like a known, like... 
it almost seems like if you're in that rock guitar players, you know him like really well. Mm-hmm. Kind of like thing. an Eric Clapton reputation. Yeah, maybe? exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. I mean, he's won two Grammys for his guitar work on albums, you know, which oh, okay. I think that by itself is pretty damn good. And he mm-hmm. also did a couple music scores for movies. He did Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Weekend at Bernie's. So <laughs> really, <laughs> <laughs> the two movies I remember for musical scores, Weekend exactly. at Bernie's and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I mean, the band itself officially formed itself in 1977 okay. Okay. in London, go figure. And it's one of these like kind of ambiguous sort of like they happen to meet, heard each other play like, hey, you're really good. You know, we should get together mm-hmm. sometime and start playing together. And basically the band was created from that. You know, it was like almost one of these, they just met each other, all were into music and sort of kept going. And apparently that's where Sting got the name Sting. I don't know if oh, this is true. Okay. I did see all this right. on a couple sites. So maybe it's true or maybe everyone believes this to be true. He had this habit of wearing a black and yellow striped sweater. So like it was like a bumblebee. Like a wasp. Yeah. Or a bee. Oh, okay. So they just call, started calling him Sting. And I guess he kind of <laughs> thought it was cooler than his real name. So he just went with it. It's absolutely <laughs> cooler than Gordon blah, 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 Sumner. Whatever the hell that was. If I had to choose between Gordon and Sting, I think I would take Sting too. Yeah, Sting's got to be better, right? <laughs> Sorry, anyone named Gordon. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I hear Sting's stage name, so yeah. to speak, mm-hmm. I think of Mo's favorite movie, the 1984 hit Dune, which is oh. <laughs> the look on his face. Oh my god! But the part where he comes out and he's just he's sweaty and oh, the big fight. There's yeah. mist everywhere and he's regal and he's just looking up with his chin up in the air and he's like, "That's right, motherfuckers." Sting is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he probably said that the first couple of times they say yeah, sure did. Did say that because <laughs> that was part of his short-lived acting career right they're like no Kyle McLaughlin is the star not you Sting yeah he's like yeah, I make more money than him yeah probably <laughs> it was like just one of these things where I think this talent sought talent mm-hmm. and yep. got together and there's quite a few bands I think that did that. I think the Doors I mean there's a whole bunch of bands that kind of had that start where they just kind of saw especially in that era right yeah yeah late 70s early 80s it's like lightning in a bottle it's like you, yeah. you could not it's not like you make a boy band and you draft we need the cute guy and the hunky guy and the blonde guy you know it's it was organic back in the 70s when it wasn't created we need the druggy guy who dates Whitney Houston <laughs> yeah <laughs> you <do need> that, <laughs> right this is like like gig musicians who met one another and like you said you know talent recognized talent like we should do something together and yeah. damn they were right oh my oh, goodness yeah you're not kidding <laughs> kind of like Queen right Queen yeah. did the same kind of thing didn't they mm-hmm. yeah because they, yep. they the band had a different singer mm-hmm. they didn't like right. him and then they heard him singing they're like that's the guy we got to get there we go that's the secret sauce that worked out Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Hi, my name is Uncle Phil. For the largest selection and lowest prices on metal CDs and metal albums, you got to come to Uncle Phil's. Two locations, Sunrise Highway in Massapequa Park and Hempstead Turnpike in Levittown. For all your favorite metal, punk, hardcore, thrash, speed, march on down to Uncle Phil's. 
We've got the band together. I feel like it's the Blues Brothers. We're getting the band back together. We've got the band together. We're getting to synchronicity. First, we need to set the stage in a couple of ways. First of all, synchronicity was their fifth and final studio yeah. album. Mm -hmm. Across their entire career, they sold over 75 million records. Uh, that's a huge as chunk a of Sings 100 wow. million yeah, as, as a band, band. Yeah, as true. them together. So they, no surprise, they're one of the best-selling bands of all time. Yeah. Their debut album, shortly after Summers came on board, 1978, called Outlandos de Amor, reached number oh, six. Yeah. That's the name of the album. There's a lot of <laughs> high-minded stuff in The Police, if you don't know already. So, yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> literary <laughs> references. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, this one reached number six on the UK chart on the strength of singles, including Roxanne, which you mentioned. Really? And, that was in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was like, that was on the first album. And Can't Stand Losing You yeah. was also the 1978 mm. album. Roxanne is the one I know the best off of that. I don't think I ever owned that album, uh, but that was the start of kind of this trajectory of making police such a powerhouse. That's just Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Every exactly. Time. I was thinking the same thing. It was like Eddie Murphy <laughs> singing that in, um, what movie? Oh, uh, 48 Hours. Yep. Yeah. In the jail cell, sitting <laughs> in, the, in the recliner for some damn reason. Because <laughs> he's Eddie Murphy. Man. Come on. Roxanne. <laughs> Their second album, Regatta de Blanc, apparently they had mm -hmm. to have a French sounding part of each one of their albums at some point, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay, like, yeah. No, we're doing everything French. Uh, 1979 <laughs> became the first of four consecutive number one studio albums in both the UK mm -hmm. and Australia. Uh, <laughs> its first two singles, Message in a Bottle, mm. oh, yeah. awesome fucking song, yeah, amazing and song. Walking yep. on the Moon Another became their song, first yeah. UK number one hits. Now, that's surprising to me. I would have thought Roxanne would have made it to number one first, but I guess Message in a Bottle did, and yeah. Walking in the Mood did. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. The first one got him primed. It hit number six. Four number ones in a row after this, right? Well, it, it, leading this up is the to sophomore synchronicity. album. And we yeah. always hear <laughs> right. things about the sophomore slump. The slump. Mm -hmm. Apparently didn't happen in this case. Maybe that's why nope. they sold 75 million albums, because they didn't ever have a slump, I guess. <laughs> Could be. That'll do it. And after that, they had two more albums, Zenyatta Mandata and Ghost and Machine, right? 1980, 81. Ghost and the Machine, I know. Oh, so they finally started using English in the fourth yeah, album. Yeah, they did. That's good. Uh, but the other thing you notice that, I mean, you see albums came out one year after the other. Yeah, I mean, bang, bang, bang. album yep. every single mm. year, which to me is like pretty impressive. And that one had some, you know, some great songs like Don't Stand So Close to Me. Everyone mm. knows that one, that, that music video with him as a teacher. Right. Yep. Wonder why you got that idea from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and every little thing she does is magic. They, again, like every single one of those albums was a number one up until they got into their fifth album, which we'll talk about later. Wow. That's right. So we're up to 1983 now. So we've got those four albums behind them. Mm -hmm. Synchronicity would be next in 83 and it would be their final studio album that they would release. And we're, we're going to run through the entire album in a second, but I, I want to talk about what else was going on. What were the contemporaries yeah. to, to Synchronicity when it came out? So the first it one- was a great year. It was a great year for music, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a great year. <laughs> David Bowie's Let's Dance. That Amazing. was right in the same time frame as Synchronicity. Great music video. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, he couldn't dance for shit, but that was a great music video. <laughs> it was a great video, though. It was a great video. Um, yeah, Michael Jackson's Thriller album was released that year. Oh, oh. best music video yep. ever. Another good one. <laughs> Everything's in the shadow of that album, but yeah, oh, yeah. Right. same, really same time kidding. frame, right? And everyone knows the amazing 99 Red Balloons, right? Oh, <laughs> no, it's not song. 99 Red Balloons. It's, it's Luft Balloons. Luft Balloons. <laughs> mm. If the police get to use every French title in the world, we got to stay true to Nina. Come on, people. Oh, yeah. 
I don't like either of the balloon songs, left or red. So <laughs> they can just go. Because they didn't have puppets in them. That's why you don't that's like true. them. That's true. Well, yeah. Well, that's why I like Land of Confusion by Genesis, because it has full puppets. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. The, um, but they didn't come out that year. But they, That's true. One of my favorite songs of all time, Sweet Dreams, Eurythmics. Mm-hmm. Eurythmics. Mm-hmm. Good song. Yep. That yep. came out. Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, such a raspy voice. Yeah, on yeah. That song. Mm-hmm. I mean, how mm-hmm. do you yep. not love that one? And this one's kind of sad, actually. Irene Cara, who just passed away. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. That was the year mm. of Flashdance. I mean, there was so Man. much freaking good music that year. <laughs> and maybe every year's like that, but that just seems like a really good year. I guess when you sit and do the research and focus on it and everything, you start to just pick out what was awesome and you probably don't remember all the crappy stuff that came out, yeah, but that's, that's what memory is about. It's remembering <laughs> the right. fun stuff. Who cares about the shitty stuff? That's for my therapist <laughs> later on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point yeah but i mean i'm just trying to imagine like listening to the radio and hearing like these songs in a row would just come on oh yeah or yeah. come on close together i mean it just seems like a, an amazing just compilation of songs to come out you know so what was 83 for me this was late junior high so was or like high school for you probably right mo where you're at yeah, that was and, high school and george you're just about to start junior high i bet 83 um yeah, sixth Let's see. I started as a freshman in high school at 85. So sixth grade, seventh okay, so grade, like, depending yeah, upon the part of the Middle school, yeah, whatever you yeah. call it. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were all paying attention to music is my point yeah, at this, true. At this point. Time. And music was important to us. If you're a Gen Xer of that era, Eve, we were on a spectrum of like, you know, six years in there and we're all, this is important to us. Nobody's like, I never heard of the police or synchronicity. Yeah. Nobody missed it because you couldn't turn on the radio and you couldn't go three or four songs without a police song coming on. Yeah. And especially was true in 83 with synchronicity. So the stage is set. We built these, uh, we built the band, we built their career up. This is now what what would become, we now know, their final album and one of their best revered and best known and best selling albums of all time, Synchronicity. When we get back from this break, we are jumping headlong into that album. Stick around. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Hoot, there it is! Exclamation point. The record store. Now you try it. Hoot, there it is! Hoot, there it is! Hoot, there it is! Hoop, there it is. 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 Hoop, what? Hoop, there it is. 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 John, right before the break, you said, none of us missed this album in 1983. I I missed this album in 1983. (laughs) Did you? How did you manage that? How? (laughs) Let me explain. 
So in 1983, as I said, I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. At sure. that time, the car and the radio were controlled by oh, my parents. Oh, I see. And my parents are country music fans. So gotcha. while I got to hear the songs a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. I really didn't hear all of the songs or most okay. of the songs from the album until like two or even three years later. So I feel like wow. I'm kind of a late horse to this one, but I don't think it diminishes for me just how important okay this album was and how important the songs were with a caveat. We can talk about that when we start getting into the actual songs in the albums, but just remember foreshadowing listener out (laughs) there. There's some caveats to that statement. Fifth and final studio album released June 17th, 1983. Mm -hmm. Mo, I'm not even going to attempt this factoid that you put in the goddamn card because it's in German. (laughs) So I'm done and we can move on or you can pronounce it. Uh, Okay. So I was trying to find out what the (laughs) definition of synchronicity was. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And where it came from the title of the album. And I found that basically, okay. Synchronicity, German. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Synchronicity. (laughs) fair enough we'll take it but it was a concept first introduced by analytical psychologist carl jung which is Mm -hmm. why Ah. they had the german word for it all right to describe circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack casual connection oh well that describes this album (laughs) large (laughs) chunks of it for sure Yeah. yeah yeah It's, yep. it's funny, George, you were talking about how like you didn't get into this, you know, until later. Right. I got into this, the police, mostly because of a girl. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. Okay. That it fits. was her favorite band. Once I found that out, I got this album, got all their old albums, listened to every freaking song. I could talk about the police backwards and forward. Didn't work, but mm. it did introduce to the song, so I don't feel that bad about it. <laughs> I found that the album's title, I kind of looked for some information about, yeah. you know, like inspiration behind it, you know. And so uh, I did see the Carl Young thing in there. So there's an author, Arthur Kostler, and he wrote uh, a book called The Roots of Coincidence, an excursion to parapsychology. Ooh, and geez. apparently Sting was an avid reader of Kostler. And he also titled the police's prior album, Ghost in the Machine, after another one of his works. Oh. So when he got done with the French stuff, he started oh. doing this, this author's stuff that he was inspired by. I wonder by. if that also inspired the manga, Ghost in the Machine, that later on became an animated series of great renown and even the crappy movie from America. Maybe because it's parapsychology related. It's quite possible. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And the album itself, I mean, we talk about how great it was. I mean, it was nominated for five Grammys. One, three of them. them. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which, I mean, again, looking at the music from that time, that's, I think that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Look at all the competition that they had. No, I know. Michael Jackson got the other two probably is my guess. Yeah, I would guess. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it probably was. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, the three they won was for best rock performance by a group. Best song of the year for every breath you take. Yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Makes right? sense. And also best pop performance by a group. So three big categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty solid. It's made a ton of lists too. I mean, it regularly hits on everybody's. What are the top, like, what are the best albums of the 80s? What are the yeah. best of all time? Those are things. And Synchronicity keeps popping up on those over and over. It's just one of those, like, you have to include it. It's like Michael Jackson's Thriller. It's like Purple Rain. It's like, if you're going to mention these 80s albums, there's a handful that just make every single list, and Synchronicity is one of them. All right, well, I'm going to come back to my foreshadowing moment earlier. Okay. (laughs) You say it's just like Purple Rain, just like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that's true for the second part of the album. (laughs) I agree. The first part of the album... (laughs) 
It's got like one song that I like, another song that eh, kind of felt more like a Peter Gabriel song to me than it did a police mm-hmm. song. And mm-hmm. then some songs that really should maybe not have been recorded. And I mean, should maybe in the sense that it should not have been recorded. <laughs> so I like the whole album. <laughs> okay. Wow, really? you, were, you were in it for a girl. You had to like the whole album. That was <laughs> mandatory. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, I still do. Just remember, this is the day of albums where, you know, when you put an album on the turntable, you know, you generally listen to the whole thing, right? You sure. did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Or at least a whole side, right? At least a whole side. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's something we're kind of missing today, though, because because of that, yeah. I probably listened to songs, not just about all albums, that I probably would have just like breezed past and just went right to the, the popular one, you know? Yeah. Billy Joel's Stormfront was like that for me. There's some mm-hmm. songs on there that I would never mm-hmm. have heard. They weren't really played on the radio at all, but because I listened listen to the entire cassette all the way through I found some songs that I truly love the title album of the song though synchronicity mm-hmm. well synchronicity one, one. yeah right yeah you're gonna find out why that's got an important moniker on the end of it later <laughs> it's a good song mm-hmm. it's, it's all right it feels it's... like they're just screaming at me for 30 <laughs> seconds of the synchronicity synchronicity <laughs> like jesus christ guys move on to another lyric <laughs> I, I just like the energy of that one i do too yeah that, that first track is kind of pretty i found it pretty high-minded like it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of like ethereal you know linked to the invisible almost imperceptible mm-hmm. something inexpressible you know it's like like those are some like spirituality but I mean, like incense and crystals and dream catcher spirituality like not sure you know it's not yeah. that deep spirituality it's more of like let's find these cryptic little things and i think that plays into that parapsychology angle yeah. from the book that he inspired it by yeah. this is probably for me my favorite song on side one bar none the others are just kind really? of really <laughs> oh that's yeah. your favorite song on side one huh mm-hmm. oh yeah fight, okay fight, fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, i was gonna say I, i've got its opponent later on <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> see i mean i like the second song too i mean walking in your footsteps i really like that song mm-hmm. walking You know, this is an album that, with exception of one song, I could put in and listen to the whole thing front to back. Really? This is the song that I was mentioning earlier that I feel like sounds like a Peter Gabriel song to me, especially mm. part of his later stuff like In Your Eyes. This yeah. kind of feels mm-hmm. like that to me. Yeah, I can see that. It starts off really like tribal drums, like chugga 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 chugga. It has that yep. stuff in it. And then they start singing about dinosaurs, and you have to go, what are you guys talking about? Brontosaurus yeah. and dinosaurs? But well, it, it has a really cool, like, my take on it is like, it's talking about the dinosaurs, about how they were the kings of the world. And right. it's it's kind of saying, no matter how big you are, no matter how important you think you are, mm-hmm. you're not invincible. You know, somebody right. can take you down. Yeah, I think that was the message I got from that song, yeah. because, they, you know, they say that you were the greatest, and all of a sudden, like, you know, you're gone. And I think it's making parallels to us, because I know also at the time, also don't forget about like, Cold War was still going on. Sure, oh, for sure. still worried yeah. about Russia and blowing ourselves up and all that stuff. So there's a lot of songs oh, I that have, have that kind of message. No doubt this was a very thinly veiled, like Cold War paranoia kind yeah. of cautionary mm-hmm. tale song. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you guys think about Oh My God? I like that one. <laughs> Almost as much as Synchronicity 1. That, that one's okay. 
I think I'm more in the Mo camp than the John. Mo was like, I liked it. Like it was a question. <laughs> like a question. <laughs> I, it's a it's a decent song. It for me, it was one that it it fit in that side of the album. It took mm-hmm. up four minutes. I didn't hate it. It wouldn't make me turn minutes. the record off. So yeah. I guess it did its job that it got me to the next songs after it. Yeah. This is one of those tracks that I like more now than I did back then. Because when I listened okay. to it before, mm-hmm. I didn't get it. You know, there's like uh, what fill the space between us and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, is this like a conversation with God? Is, he, is it that kind of spirituality as opposed to the other? But now when I listen to it, I think it's, and this is starting to get into where Sting was in his writing during the time of this album. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's about any kind of one-sided relationship where you give and the other person takes. It should be a give and take, and it's just always you're, you're feeling used or you're feeling put upon, Right. but right. you're stuck because you like the relationship. And that's that's how I pull it out yeah. of there. But I didn't feel that way about it initially, so I don't have the nostalgia for it. I think it's a better song now that I understand it better and I listen to okay. it more. Uh, but back then, it wasn't great for me. I mean, the thing with Sting, though, is like, or the police in general, is like, his lyrics were, I think, were really great. I love his lyrics of most Certainly. of his songs. Oh, yeah. You know? They were clever and intelligent most of the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, so we get to this next song. Sometimes <laughs> too intelligent for your own good sometimes, like too yeah. high-minded, but the fourth track on side one oh, geez. does not need to be on this album. I'm sure no. somebody's going to somebody's gonna write in and go, you're missing the point of Mother. It's madness. <laughs> yeah. There's no subtlety. I'm okay with missing the point of this. Trust me, this is the worst song that I've listened to in preparation for one of our podcasts. This is awful. (laughs) When I heard this song, I was walking around getting some exercise first time I listened to it because I don't remember it from back in the 80s. Okay. Well, they never played it. (laughs) The first thing it made me think of was that it sounded like something Jim Morrison's love child would have produced while he was on a fucking acid trip. It just, mother, mother. I was like, Jesus Christ, Jim, calm down. And it's not even Jim, it's Andy Sumner's you have in here, bro. Yeah, he, he actually, he's is one of the guys few... should have stuck to the fucking guitar. Quit singing. <laughs> Holy shit. It's one of the two songs in the album that Sing didn't write. So mm. he didn't write that one. That checks out. Uh, yeah. I, that was the one that would actually get, I would get up and move past the song on the record player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I mean, is there anything, I mean, before we just summarily dismiss it, and I don't have the answer to this, is there anything redeeming in there? I mean, I know the lyrics are saying, every woman I meet becomes my mother, my mother yeah. doesn't need to be my friend, and maybe there's something Freudian going it on in there. It felt disturbing, now, I, disturbing yeah. and creepy, and if that's something you need to expand your consciousness, okay, then yeah. it's for you. It's not for me. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be curious if any of our listeners could, could write like, in to defend yeah, it. Yeah, write in yeah. and tell us, like, you know, this song is great because, because uh, I'm curious. I actually am very, very curious to hear what somebody yeah. else's opinion is. Of course, on it's this easy is. now. You just skip it, right? But back then, yeah. mm. you you had to wait three minutes through that shit because it don't finish to <laughs> you can go to the next song. Which I actually like the next song, Miss Gordenko. Oh, I, yeah. I think that that's a decent song on that side of the album. I 
like the preamble to Don't Stand So Close to Me. Because this is an, like, it feels like you're in love with a teacher, and Don't Stand So Close to Me was like, I'm a teacher. Don't do that, child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I felt like this one should have come before that song, maybe. I didn't know what this song was about before. I listened to it three or four times preparing for this, and I'm mm -hmm. like, it's interesting. I'm not sure. So I, I looked at what people think it's about, or maybe Sting okay. said, apparently, it's a song about a repressive totalitarian regime where the singer is worried about his teacher, Miss Kredenko, who's been questioning the regime. Ah. Now, if you know that and you read through them, you can see about how the uniform doesn't quite fit and you're speaking out oh, yeah. and things like that. Okay. Wow. So it okay. does map. I don't know if that's right, but works. thinking of it that way, it does map. It could be yeah. correct. I'll just say that. It's possible. Huh. It's possible. Okay. Well, the last song on side A is Synchronicity 2. John, you had its predecessor, Synchronicity yeah. 1, is your favorite song of the album. On this side, to me, this was the best song of side A. Oh, I what really oh, prefer I love it. Song. Is Synchronicity 2 on side A also? I thought it was the beginning yes. of side B. Is it? It's I, on I don't know. side A as far as is I it? know. Okay. That's, I, I'm just, I don't remember. I have it on CD. I don't remember what yeah, the sides I were. I just remember. <laughs> I only know for sure because Mo put it in the card that way. Oh, Hold yeah, up. yeah. In that case, I would agree with you. Synchronicity 2 is better than Synchronicity 1. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's a longer song. I don't know why they called it Synchronicity 2 because that part of the song never comes up in it, but yeah. I really prefer this song over Synchronicity 1. Now, I know this is their last studio album, but mm -hmm. wasn't there like a Synchronicity 2 album that came out years later or something? Not that I know of. No, maybe so. they were going to do it or I don't know. I... It's possible. I mean, they broke up shortly after this one, so. And they never did anything ever again? Mm -hmm. Nope. They huh. did a reunion mm -hmm. tour and that was it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be damned. Uh, on side A, this is my favorite song. It's the only one of all the stuff in there that I felt like I would have really enjoyed listening to mm -hmm. on the radio, driving wherever I was going at that age of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I really enjoyed the song just because the, again, like the lyrics and the lyrics and the theme are so cool. The theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like telling the story of this father who's like, he's henpecked at home and his work life is soul crushing and depressing. He's paranoid. I got to tell you, my, it's got my favorite, my favorite description of commuting in this. So I, I wrote this down. <laughs> the lyrics are fantastic. I know what you're going to say. Another working day has ended. Only the rush hour hell to face. Hacked like lemmings in the shiny metal boxes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Contestants in a suicidal race. Yeah. That's the, that's commuting. That is exactly the <laughs> drive to work and back. That is so good. Well, it's not just commuting. It's also moving through that part of your life. Mm -hmm. Ooh, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're drawing parallels and metaphors in there. Right. This, you talked about Sting's lyricism and how his, his, his how he writes so well. And that's an example of that thing. That's like, wow, that's that's poetry. That's why the police are the damn police. Honestly. Now, we talked about, like, why was this called synchronicity? And I did some digging, trying to figure that out myself. What they said in this song, though, because you have the story of the man, mm -hmm. and then they flip mm -hmm. to the thing coming out of the lock. Yeah. That's supposed to be parallels. In other words, this guy's getting more and more pressured, and this monster is coming out. Hmm. Oh, I always read it as the the monster was his dread approaching. It's in the, his shadow on the door, that kind of thing. But I, I never knew the parallel, but I liked how the juxtaposed between yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm a Bigfoot fan, so Loch Ness Monster's right up there oh, for me, Jesus too. Like that. How are you going to bring Bigfoot into the police? <laughs> I will find a way. You'll work it in some end puppets. You'll figure out a way. <laughs> now, before we get to side two, I want to talk just a minute about the amazing cover art on this yeah. album. While you're laying, laying on your bed, listening to the album, you're going through the liner notes and stuff. 
So think of that original cover artwork. It was conceived by a guy named Jeff Aroff and Norman Moore, consisted of a series of photographs overlaid with transparent horizontal stripes of blue, red, and yellow. Yeah. But it came in 36 different variations really? with different arrangements of the color stripes and different photographs of the band members. I didn't know wow. that. Wow. <laughs> that is a collection nightmare. Holy know. shit. Right. Do you have that one? Do you have, have that like one? 36 that one? different albums? Oh my God. The eBay alone would kill me. Holy God, hell. I'm so tempted Variation to look that up 17B. Right? Wow. <laughs> Let's move on to side two then. Okay. This yeah. is a side oh, I yeah. think that oh, probably yeah. has the most resonance with the average pop listener mm-hmm. of oh, the absolutely. 1980s. Starting off with the first song on side two, Every Breath You Take, eight mm. weeks at number one, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely still shocks me at how much I apparently love the stalker pop genre. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Every time my daughter hears a song come on, she says, that's a stalker song. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I'm all down for it, apparently, because I... <laughs> <laughs> I guess when I heard it, I it's just one of those hooks that gets in your head and never mm-hmm. leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But I didn't associate the meaning because I was too young. I was between right. 12 and 14 when I was hearing this song. I didn't understand what a stalker was. I don't think that was even in the lexicon at that point. Maybe it was, but it's just one of those songs that no matter what the definition or the lyrics or what he was writing about, you can't help but enjoy that song. The beat yeah. is great. The lyrics mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. The hook oh, yeah. is awesome. It's a perfect song almost. The cadence of it, all that stuff. I read somewhere that Sting said he's consistently stunned when he hears people come up and go, oh, I love your work. Every breath you take was the theme of our wedding. We played as our first <laughs> dance, things like that. He's like, you know, that's not a love song. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> he says the lyrics are the words of a possessive lover who is watching. Mm-hmm. Right. Watching that person. Yeah. It says it's a stalker. That's exactly yeah. what it is. But people hear it and it's so melodic and the tune is so nice. Like, what a beautiful love song. You're paying attention to me and watching me. Oh, no. No, no, no. no, 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 no I'm paying no. attention. All right. From the bushes. Man. <laughs> Definitely awesome. Yeah. John, next song, number eight on the album list overall, but the second yep. one on side two, King of Pain. You said this one reached number three. Yeah. To me, to this day, I hear King of Suede every single time the <laughs> me song too. starts. Me too. Weird Al's parody of it, which is not one of his best parodies ever, but it's a it's his only police parody that I know of, and it's really clever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I think of all the songs, this one probably has my favorite lyrics. Mm, okay. I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. It's about this guy who's absolutely tortured. He's mm-hmm. just everything about him. And this comes from the fact that he and the band weren't getting along great at the time. And he was kind of, he was suffering the, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. He's like, basically, okay, fine. Just everybody dump on me. I'll be the king of pain kind of thing. And so he put that into art. That's the thing that makes a great artist. You can just, you can wallow in your pain or you can turn it into something creative. And that's what he did with this. And like you said, the lyrics, it was a personal song for Snake, big time. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a lot of them were. This is something that I want to talk about now, Mm -hmm. only because if we talk about it later, we're not going to have enough time. This song starts to indicate to me that the thing we've talked about with music and albums 
in the past. Mm -hmm. This was a side of an album that shows a progression of a story all the way through it. It starts off with every breath you take. This is a guy who is, you know, creeping on a woman and everything like that. King of Pain to me feels like not only maybe is he breaking up with a band, but he's breaking up with a significant love of his life. Mm -hmm. Then you've got other songs later on down the album that kind of foster that same sense of longing and regret (laughs) and things that end up by the last song. Like, holy crap, what did this guy go through when he was writing this? Mm -hmm. You're spot on. In addition to being, being kind of, I would say on the outs, but he was not getting along well with the other two band members. He had also just separated from his first wife when he wrote King of Pain. Mm, yeah. It was all, okay. he's just, everything was falling apart for him, you know, kind of in his head. So, yeah. I say one thing, I, mean, I think artists need to be like, need to suffer to do well. I hate to say that, but <laughs> I keep thinking, it kind of seems that to, way. Yeah. I keep thinking like Billy Joel, mm-hmm. when he had the whole Chrissy Brinkley thing, that album sucked. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was happy. That song, Uptown Girl, yeah. isn't even about her. She's in the video, and it's about another model that he dated before he dated her. It's a terrible song, (laughs) in my opinion. But his early stuff, when he was like hungry, trying to come up, you know, awesome stuff. Better stuff. (laughs) The next song on side two, another great one. This is definitely the side of the album I listened to more. I think I had it on cassette, Mm -hmm. and I would fast forward through side A, and then I would listen to side B, (laughs) over and over and over. Wrapped Around Your Finger is the next Mm -hmm. track on there. This is another. What a great melodic one. Mm -hmm. Sting describes this as a spiteful song about turning the tables on someone who had been in charge. Yeah. And after I read that and heard it again, I'm like, I felt that, but I hadn't hadn't crystallized in my mind. I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, yes, I was wrapped around your finger and now look. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love the switch into lyrics when the last lyric is, you'll be wrapped around my finger. That's you know, right. Yes. The other way around. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's like, ooh, I say, I kind of like this one. I mean, it's, and it tells a story. Like that mm-hmm. song yeah. tells a story from beginning to end, I think. I think they did that the best with this second side of the album. Like John mm-hmm. said, and I was saying earlier, yep. Mo, you said... They tell a better story with side two. Side one, truthfully, I could do without it. It's a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you put me on side two all day long, I'm happy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, all the hits came from it. I love all the mythological and literary references in this song in particular. I mean, the album all over the place. But it's like got Skyla and Charbdis and Mistopheles and all these. (laughs) Like, I I, I probably mispronounced two out of three of those, but most likely. But... But it's that it's that sting thing where he does really high minded kind of how arty can I get this? How literary can I get this? How intellectual can this be and still be a pop album? And I think he walked that line perfectly. And it, if you get any of the references, you just feel smarter because you're like, oh, I know, yeah. I remember that from school. You know, maybe I just <laughs> studied that in English or something. You know. And plus, I think it actually when you dig in some of the meanings, then it's like, oh, and to me, it's like it goes deeper. It fits. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. okay, I see why he used that because it does fit yep. what he was trying to get across. So you know, and that one only I say only only reached number eight. Uh, you know, if, yeah. it, if it hits the charts, it's pretty damn good. Uh, this one, I, it should have done better maybe, but I think it was great. Wrapped Around Your Finger was another, my favorite from that side. That was when the music video with all the candles, was that one? Yes. Yeah. I remember yes, that. Yeah. He's right, walking he through the down. room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just black room with just candles everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. yep. Okay, I do remember that one. <laughs> now, the last couple songs in the album are definitely lesser known by far. Sure. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah. the last song we were talking about wasn't even on the LP. It was only on cassette. Really? Right. I didn't know that. They got that last because they didn't have space, I guess, on the LP, I guess. Oh, I don't know. interesting. I didn't know but that. But the 10th one, I think it's just a, really just a sweet song, Tea in the Sahara. Yeah. Hmm. 
I just like that song. I think it's just, it's almost like a fable to me. I it don't know. feels like a wistful memory yeah. of a relationship that the person used to love. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I feel like I skipped this one a lot. Not because the song probably wasn't good. <laughs> well, no, 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 because it starts so slowly. It's so it tinkly. It's a slow song. Because you're listening to these rock songs. You know, I just heard Wrapped Around Your Finger. I just heard Every Breath You Take. And yeah. now it's like mm-hmm. tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. I think I usually skipped this and moved on to the last track. Well, the other ones had the larger airplay, too. Oh, so certainly. even if oh, yeah. you did or didn't skip this one, those other songs would have just been drilled into your mm-hmm. brain just yeah. from the radio alone back then. Oh, absolutely. This is another one with a literary backing. Uh, this was inspired by a Paul Bowles book called The Sheltering Sky. And the first oh. section of that book is called Tea in the Sahara. Oh, okay. Uh, there you and go. <laughs> in it, there's a character in which three sisters wait for a prince to join them for tea in the desert, and he never returns. Oh. Sting was just a fan of that novel. And so he, again, based the entirety of that song on that first part of that book, and it fits perfectly. Yeah, I see. I want to talk a little bit about the last one. Mo, you said this wasn't on the album. It was on the cassette and CD later on. I didn't realize that I remembered this song until I heard it again preparing for this podcast. Murder (laughs) by Numbers, which, by the way, if you talk the start of side two, it's all about relationships and getting out. (laughs) Now you're killing somebody, apparently. Murder by Numbers. (laughs) It's it's all about how to do it. (laughs) To me, it felt much more like a blues song that I would really love adding to my blues library. Mm -hmm. I don't care that it's a Sting song. I don't care that it's a police song. It just feels like a contemporary of the day blues song. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of fell in love with this song all over again. Oh, cool. You know, you say it's at the end of this and it's escalation from stalking to turning the tables to preparing for murder. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Sting says this song is actually not about that relationship stuff. It didn't come from that same lump of song. Okay. He said it's about the evil deeds and hypocrisy of politicians who murder by numbers. It's their job to put, you know, to take things away from people and kind of hurt people, I guess. he has a, well, if you're curious what his stance is on politics, now you know, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like Don Henley's The the Press song where he's getting mad about everybody writing shit about him in the press. Yes, the exactly. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. 
And now green jello for the record mine. Hi, dude. I'm here to tell you about a bitchin' store here in Canmore. That's bitchin'. The record mine has the most used records in town, and yes, they will beat anybody's prices for your used records. The record mine will pay the highest prices for your used records. That's right, the highest prices than anyone. The record mine, 3048 Delaware Avenue, Kenmore. As we're coming in the back end of this backtrack, all about synchronicity by the police, what we decided to do is something we've kind of done on other shows where we kind of do a roundtable discussion about, you know, what's your favorite this, what's your whatever mm -hmm. that. And the obvious selection here that if you listen to the last segment, you probably already know some of these answers, but we each picked a song on the album that kind of, we kind of wanted to champion. And as you can imagine, uh, there might've been some debate about what the best songs were. I was the first <laughs> to pick. And so I grabbed what not only was the most successful track off the album, but it was my personal favorite too. And that was Every Breath You Take, that stalkery mm -hmm. one that we <laughs> talked one. about. <laughs> the stalkery <laughs> one, it really was. There, there's so much cool stuff about it. There's some personal connection that I'll tell you about in just a second. But, you know, we mentioned that Sting was going through a lot. And this song was actually written because he was, he was on the outs with his wife and he was starting a love affair with this other woman. And everyone's, I mean, it was not going well in the press. Everybody he was down on him for cheating on his wife and that kind of stuff so he went off like on his own uh kind of like out of the public eye to write some stuff you know he says he wrote this in the aftermath of that separation and the beginning of the other the, the affair he was having with the woman and since it was widely condemned to escape the public eye he retreated to the caribbean and that's where he wrote this song that's all about that yeah. that lover that he kind of so he was stalking the woman that he chose to go after in he the was caribbean. i got gotcha. you exactly okay. yeah yeah he was okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this came out 83 this was the same time that I had switched from using my Atari 2600 to using my Atari computer, and I was a band nerd. So loving every breath you take, I went and got the sheet music from the local music store. Oh, okay. And I programmed from scratch a four-part program that would play this entire song from beginning to end on my Atari computer. Ah. <laughs> it probably took me six months to get finished. <laughs> I wish I would give a thousand dollars to have that diskette because oh, it was it was so much fun to write. But it was so important to me that I spent free time replicating. I could listen to it, but I spent my free time <laughs> replicating it digitally on a computer because it was just so good. I found it to be so much fun. I wasn't thinking about, like you said, George, what does it mean? What's it about? It's just such a melodic and fun song to listen to. Mm -hmm. What about you? What, what was your pick, George? I know I probably picked your favorite. I probably picked everybody's favorite, but. Well, bury the lead. I was going to say, uh, since yeah. John took the gimme of the group, yeah, I, I did. chose to go yeah. with uh, Wrapped Around Your Finger, but then mm. During the discussion in this podcast, I changed my mind. <laughs> oh, I decided to go with murder by numbers because truthfully, okay. with my musical oh, background okay. and the stuff that I love the most, especially mm -hmm. right now, the blues feel of that song means more to me now than wrapped around your finger did to me then. Wrapped around you. your finger was a great song. Earworm stuck in your head forever still does to this day. But murder by numbers is just it's offset from the rest of the album. Mo, mm -hmm. probably to your point, that's why it wasn't included on the original <laughs> album, only on the cassette yeah. and the CD. And I kind of like that about it because I know that Sting has those blues influences oh, in right. him. He's talked oh, yeah. about it in different interviews. And I like that just at the end, they had this album. They said, you know what? Well, we're going to release the CD and the cassette. Let's throw this on here, too. This Maybe they this. recorded it during the same sessions. Maybe they didn't. Who cares? It's a fun blues song with some really weird, wacky lyrics mm -hmm. that yeah. 
I just enjoy. So it's a fun song for me, and that's the one I'm going to pick. I, fair I, point. I don't blame you. It's, I smile when I hear this song just because of the lyrics, and it's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good song. And to me, it's just kind of like almost tongue and cheeky, like the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it too. Now, you yeah. don't get to take my song. You got to take your own goddamn I, song. I so I which one song. do you want? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I picked actually Synchronicity 2. Ah, okay. Good choice. Yeah. So right. uh, yeah. and that was one of my favorites because, well, one is, like I said, at the time, you know, I would listen to the entire album over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. part of it is probably because, you know, it was cool to like a song that not everybody knew, you know, that kind of thing. You know, like, oh, yeah, everyone sure. knows all the hit songs. You know, I know one of the deep <laughs> cut songs. But I still, to this day, I still like it. Mostly, I think some the lyrics in it and the story that it's telling about this, the mm-hmm. guy who's just getting more right. and more put down upon. Yeah. The line, like, every meeting with the so-called superiors is a humiliating kick in the crotch. I mean, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that is such a visual. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I felt that. You know, I'm like, oh, I totally understand that. <laughs> Don't mince words. How do you really feel? It's like <laughs> exactly. a kick in the crotch. <laughs> Again, that was just because it's, and the energy in that song, too, is just, I don't know, I just, just really enjoy hearing it. It's one I could just hear many times and never get mm-hmm. tired of it. I agree. Yeah. No, I, I come around. I think I agree. It's probably the best song on side one for sure. Whew. All right. We yeah. have made it through the entire 1983 police album, Synchronicity. This was, it was a great experiment, but I'm going to go one step further and say, I think it was a successful experiment. I, I think listeners will let us know if they think, yes, you know, please. covering albums like this. I dug deeper into this album than I have probably since high school when I was, when I was making mixtapes that I find more meaningful songs to put on there for some girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. digging into these, these songs like this makes me remember why they were so good. And I hope that we've done some of that for our fourth listeners. Before we jump out of this episode, I really quickly want to thank a brand new patron who is now supporting us over on genxcredit.com slash Patreon, and that's Charles P. Thank you, Charles. Charles threw his hat into the ring recently. He says, love what you do. want to be a part of making sure you can keep doing it, and he's now on the bandwagon. So Charles and everyone else who's already a diehard, devoted, amazing supporter of Gen X Grown Up over on Patreon, thank you so much for being there. If you'd like to join this squad, as I said, just head over to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. It's drop dead easy for little as a dollar a month. You can become a patron as well. That is going to wrap it up for this backtrack on synchronicity. I sure hope you enjoyed it. Don't worry, we'll be back in two weeks with another backtrack, but next week is the standard edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here, man. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, it's you, though, we all appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Doc, we're done in one minute. <clears throat> in five, four, three. In this backtrack, we remember, dissect, and debate their fifth and final. Oh, shoot. Sorry. I'm doing it. In this backtrack, we remember. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Okay. All right. It'll be, it'll be a few minutes, not one minute. <laughs> Uh, the song of the year, which I think was, um, oh shoot, which one was it? Uh, I'm going to guess every breath you take. You take every, it, was every, it was every breath you take. I'll just do it again. It was a successful. Yeah. It was a successful. <laughs> All but that line. Right. Not that. I'm going to say that. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? 
The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.